Network. Connected. MIDI session. Running. MIDI show control. Confirmed. DMX interface. Connected. Light control. Confirmed. Ethernet. Active. Audio interface. Active and engaged. Arduino unit. In range. Bluetooth remote pair. Connected. OSC IP. Active. We're ready. Start the queue. Featuring Andy Dolph, Joshua Langman, Dave Mickey, Alex Sparks, and Mark Neiser. It's the queue. Hi, it's Dave doing rogue interviews at USITT. And I have Ryan, thank you. I have Ryan <laughs> with prepared. It's early. It has been a long couple of days. It's been a long week at USITT. And we're actually one booth away because I'm, well, okay, two booths away, right over there with Fullerton. And we thought we'd do a recap since last time we met on the Q Show. So, Ryan, what's new? Excellent. Well, thank you again for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure to be on back back last summer. Uh, the the basic concepts of prepared have continued to be to be very much the same. We have set out to create a new generation of scheduling and logistics software for the industry. Uh, our big focus is on taking all the information about schedules and labor management that we currently have strewn all over files and Dropbox folders, get it all into one centralized system so that managers can do their jobs better, and then we've also completely streamlined the communication process for taking that information and getting it into the hands of your production team. Um, in the in the few months since we last spoke, we've made uh, huge leaps and bounds in, in really two major areas. <clears throat> Number one is we've uh, we've expanded the the scope uh, of the program as far as what is possible uh, from an, uh, from the size of the organization's perspective. So it's now, as opposed to being able to tackle just one or a few projects, you know, in in, in tandem, it's it's really now built to handle the the needs of large organizations. So, you know, AV companies, performing arts centers, universities that handle dozens to hundreds of shows a year across multiple schools and departments can now all integrate into into prepared and, and, and coordinate across all of those different different types of types of challenges that that schools and, and, and institutions of that size currently face. You know, I think um, one of the the places that we've seen real value realized out of prepared is for the, the managers out there, whether it's a, a production manager, a venue manager, um, you know, producer, anybody that, that gets into a situation where they literally have more work to do than they can possibly do in a 24-hour period. Once, once you kind of hit that threshold, something else has to give. You know, you've, you've run out of the resource of time. And so now you have to look at, well, how can I improve my workflow and, and work more efficiently? And that's, I think, where Prepared really shines. That's great. The other major area that we've that we've made a lot of improvements in is in the the ability to integrate with other tools. Mm. So we now have the ability to import schedules from uh, CSV files and Excel sheets. Uh, we've got the ability to sync with external calendars, so you can suck a lot of that information straight into Prepared to start working nice. with a lot of the tools. We have released a variety of visual views for your timeline. 
So now no matter what subset of information you're looking at, you can toggle between a production list, a detailed week view, and a high-level calendar view without having to maintain that information in multiple applications in order to, to get that kind of visibility. <clears throat> so it's really reduced a lot of the redundant data entry that we have to do on a, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and then finally, getting information out of the program and into the hands of your production team, your cast, vendors, really anybody that needs to see schedules, contact lists, and things like that, the manager with one button click can now send out information in a whole variety of ways simultaneously. Anybody who has been shared information can log into the app and, and view it there, but they don't have to because you can also send out schedules via email and by calendar subscription. So now anybody receiving a schedule can immediately subscribe to that schedule in their own personal calendar. Nice. So they can use Google Cal or iCal. Yep. Yep. And as a a manager, any changes that you make within Prepared Mm -hmm. will automatically update in their calendars. And so the beauty of this, of course, is that you don't have to onboard anybody else into Prepared. It can be Mm -hmm. your management tool. And you can integrate with their workflow as opposed to having to force them into yours. That's beautiful. And I think that's a really important component of this because we change productions all the time. We're, we're constantly moving on to the next project, and there's never time to sit down and say, okay, everybody, everybody has to use Prepared now just for this production and really kind mm-hmm. of force people to turn turn their world on their heads when they have their own systems right. that work for them. So That's great. Yeah. Hey, have you guys started, like, a equipment inventory that we could have, like, lighting, sound, scenery, keep their inventory of everything and then be able to assign it to shows and productions? Yeah, no, that's a great question. We've um, uh, we've made some strides in that. We continue to kind of keep it on the back burner mm-hmm. as we make, you know, continuous improvements to the program. And that's really the beauty of, of you know, kind of the, the cloud-based world that we now work in is we don't have to... Um, release entire modules all at once to, you know, address certain problems. We can kind of continue iterating towards those. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the changes and, and updates that you'll see in the program now speak better to some of those needs. So it's now very, very possible to, on a very limited basis, track a few pieces of equipment. So okay. if you have like a couple of genie lifts and a projector mm-hmm. or, you know, um, a, a couple of trucks that you're that you're looking to kind of keep track of, you know, where they are across all of your different shows. Uh, you can very very easily do that in the program nice. in a couple of different ways. The entire concept of kind of resource management within the program is going to apply very very well to equipment once we kind of get finished building that out. For the time being, though, your resources in the program are, are people organizations like vendors and and then the locations mm-hmm. you know th- those are the resources that you're really kind of coordinating and then right. by tagging all of those resources to different parts of the program and into different shows you can keep track of all of those and there's certainly some really creative ways within the program to track additional pieces of equipment at this point cool yep. okay next question because yes. this is how we kind of hacked our system together we use dropbox a lot uh-huh. do you put in cat files Imagery. Uh, what else do we use it for? Sound files. Uh-huh. Just any reports. rehearsal reports. But prepare would be able to just store all the rehearsal reports, right? But then for CAD files, content media, is there a way to link like Dropbox in it so it could notify everyone with the changes? And- yeah. No. That's uh, that's been one of the interesting kind of explorations that we've been doing because it, it was a, a question that came up really early on in development: mm-hmm. is do we host files? 
you know, do we allow you to upload, um, as you said, CAD files, media files, drawings, whatever, into the into the program? And the <clears throat> what we what we ultimately settled on was that Dropbox does its job very well. Mm-hmm. Its job, and and if you probably go back and look at the original business plan for Dropbox, it was we're going to store files better than anybody else, yeah. and they do that very well. If you drag a file into Dropbox, it stores it for you. We don't, we didn't need to reinvent that wheel, as it were. The problem with Dropbox is that it's not a project management tool. Right. You know, it, it it you have to pick the folders, you have to pick the structure, and once it's done. There's no way to kind of rearrange your world and, and look at things from a different vantage point. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as a great example, I think most people probably create a, a folder for each show, for example. So let's say I've got shows A, B, and C, and I've got three different schedules, one for each show, siloed into those folders. Well, maybe I'm working on all three shows, so I as a person appear in all three of those schedules. Mm-hmm. There is no way to see comprehensively my schedule right. without doing a lot of work to kind of go back and rearrange a lot of that stuff. So A Prepared takes care of that because it's all now in one place, but then also when it comes to things like drawings, we made it very, very easy to just simply take the link to that file and put it anywhere in Prepared that you need to. So all you have to do is generate that, that link, paste it into, say, a task and a schedule or into the notes field of a report, and suddenly that file is now accessible exactly when you need it to be. Never mind where it's being stored. Right. Who cares? All, all I need to know is that when I read that line on the schedule that says light plot due, I should be able to get to my light plot without having to go drill down through seven layers of folders mm-hmm. and, and you know spend all that time looking right. for it. So That's great. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Have we, did you learn something? Yeah. Good. Yeah, we'll totally Any give you questions? a tour if you want to take no. a look at it. Yeah, you want yeah, to take I a tour and then learn it. it and then yeah. teach everyone else. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, great. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could just say one more thing about kind of where we're, where sure. we're headed and what's coming down the pipe right now. Um, there's really two major areas that we're going to be improving over the next, um, the next couple, of, couple of months here. Uh, number one is the, the process of sharing information is going to get even faster. So rather than having to, to create the schedules in the contact list, you're just going to be able to do it straight from the timeline. So you're going to be able to say, great, filter by rehearsal and share with these people and done. So it'll, Sweet. it'll turn into about a two-button-click process. And all of that will be instantaneous so that as soon as people start logging in, they're going to see the most up-to-date changes. And then the other is we're going to continue expanding the visibility from a high-level organization view so that it's going to be even easier for, say, production managers at large venues and performing arts centers to take that step back and, and really look out across the entire organization. So there'll be some, there'll be some fun changes coming on that, on that front as well. That's great. I love the two-click idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read once in '94 in an internet book that everything should always be within two clicks. Yeah. So whenever I hear two clicks, it's like, oh, it comes right yep. back. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Cool. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This is great. All right. My name is Sam Kuznets, and I'm here with Team Sound, which you can find online at TeamSound.nyc. We make the GoBox, the GoBox 6 is a six-button, two-output USB MIDI remote for any kind of software that uses USB MIDI, such as QLab, or many uh, software lighting programs. I also sell the GoBox 4, which is a one-output, four-button version. And newly 
available, we have the GoBox One, which is a one-button, one-output, very small, handheld, highly portable remote. You can find out all about them at teamsound.nyc. Student pricing is available. And you can ask questions by emailing go at teamsound.nyc. Hi, everyone. My name is Lori Hendricks, and I am the owner of Wireless Mic Belts. We've been in business for about four years, and we found a niche in the market of a neoprene pouch for wireless microphone transmitters for the entertainment industry. And it's a really cool way that we got around this, because my husband was a sound engineer, and he found uh, himself doing a, um, a non-profit fundraiser, and Tom Hanks is kicking his microphone across the stage and swinging it around. And when you have a moment in your career where you go, Tom Hanks doesn't have a microphone that's working right now, you have to find a solution. That's how we came about our business. So we developed a product that is a 2mm neoprene um, moisture-resistant pouch designed specifically for the transmitter. So if you were to buy a belt pack, it would be for the Shure UR1 or the Sennheiser G3. Um, They come in three colors, tan, black, and white. Um, The belts are separate. They come in sizes from 16 to 52. So you get a thigh pack all the way up to really large character actors. Um, We have a couple other accessories that we designed to help problem solve. We just want to make your jobs easier. That's the goal. So that's my story, ladies and gentlemen. Come check us out. He died. He, he died in a bizarre gardening accident. You screwed up. That was tragic, really. He exploded on stage. Fix it. it. Review you had on Shark Sandwich, which was merely a two-word review, just a shit sandwich. Welcome to Tales of Disaster. You screwed up. You got to fix it. What are you going to do? Tell us your stories. Send them in, and we're going to put them on the air. There's a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Like flash of green light. And rogue recording. Uh, my name is Kate Colton. I'm the associate production manager at the Mark Taper Forum in Los Angeles. And so my little show control story comes from my rehearsal report last night that we have an iris irising walls on the show that we're running currently on stage and it's a very very tight rigging up there and so we made a decision at a certain point to not knife the bottom of the walls because the clearance was so so very tight and we actually ended up having a warp in one of the walls so we didn't knife the bottom they're free floating we've been running the show for a long time it's been working pretty well but last night an actor ran back on stage to get something that she had left which meant that we had to e-stop our iris closing and that left all of our panels swinging and when everything's not knifed and then we started to we went to restart it the whole system jammed and so then we ran the rest of that show with our portal in much closer than we would have liked and that's my show control story thank you very much you're welcome hi so uh my name is jacob i'm with uh, editor of stage directions magazine based in las vegas and the uh the my biggest horror story my closest closest disaster horror story comes from Las Vegas, working in a casino as an AV tech, so it's not automation, sorry, but working as an AV tech, we were setting up in uh, the Venetian, which is a very fancy pants casino. We're taking down the screens from a room. If you've ever taken down a big uh, projection screen, usually the easiest thing to do is to just honestly push it forward and let it fall gently down. But in order to do that, sometimes you have to maneuver things around before you can push it there. So we were, the stage was coming out, the lights were coming down, so we were maneuvering the screen to get it to where it can set it down. And uh, one guy was having a hard time moving his legs, so he kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing until finally somebody on a genie lift said, "Uh, you might want to stop doing that. And we looked up, and we were in the middle of a ballroom that has 
uh, filled with chihuly chandeliers, which are all tens of thousands of dollars a piece. And we had wound one up as we were trying to move the screen, but it just wound up like a top. And we we're like, oh. So we pushed the screen about three feet to the side, and we just watched the chandelier unwind for about five minutes, like as it unwound this way and spun itself around, and then unwound the other way and spun itself around. And we just waited for it to like settle down for about 15, 20 minutes, wondering just how much we were going to end up breaking. So, in the end, it was nothing, but that was a probably the tensest 10 minutes I've had in my uh, stagehand career. <laughs> Great, thank you. My pleasure. Okay, so I'm Tracy, and I'm Kimberly, and we work for Princess Cruises, and the story that I have to tell was we were doing a show install called Spectacular. On a brand new ship that was just being built in Italy. Yeah. So nothing worked. Yeah, so we had a little bit of challenges with our lifts moving, and one of the main scenes was where there were two large platforms of stairs and what happens was the crew had to go underneath the stairs in the pit build it then they would get stuck in the stairs come up on stage do some stuff and literally stay in the stairs and then go back down so during this whole process they were going back down three of them were inside the stairs on the lift and the lift stopped and Marion one of the girls one of our stage crew she kind of lost it going we're gonna get crushed. The slot's closing. The slot's closing. And I'm running automation, and I'm just like, what? what? Nothing's moving. I'm looking at. I'm like, Marion, nothing. She's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die. She's literally yelling on stage <laughs> inside a set piece on stage with three other stage crew going, we're okay, we're okay, we're fine, and she's screaming, you're good. Nothing is moving. Nothing's gonna happen. And then everything, you know, they were stuck for a couple minutes, but we got them out. And then eventually we crushed them. <laughs> no, we didn't crush them. They're fine. They were fine. But she, she decided not to work with us anymore. She she needed a moment. She needed to a break. For sure. <laughs> there you go. But That's we didn't kill anybody. No no one died. Thank no goodness. Death. Yes. No, no deaths aboard Princess Princess. And it's a good show. So. Great. Thank you very much. So it's Drew Delzell, and uh, I've, been, I've been on the podcast before, and um, you might know that I do a lot of haunted houses, and at this point, it takes an awful lot to scare me. It's, it's actually unusual that I get startled or scared and amazed, and the crew kind of knows that it, it doesn't happen, but that wasn't always the case, and probably the best case is, it must have been around 1999, doing a uh, Halloween Horror Nights, and we're setting up and building uh, a House of a Thousand Corpses maze. It's the very first time we did it, and part of that was we had scarecrows set up in the maze, which means they had loaded in dummies that were wearing blue jeans and flannel shirts and didn't have heads on them, so that they were going to set them up on these scarecrow stanchions, and then every fourth or fifth one would be empty, so someone could jump off and scare the crowd as they go through. So these are loaded in, we're still building, and it's just kind of piles of dummies all over the maze, and I'm working by myself in the middle of the night, because that's what we were doing at the time. It's like two in the morning, I'm in the maze, I walk into one of the rooms, and it's kind of set up with some sofas around... And I have to do some work. And there's a bunch of these dummies piled up on the sofas and leaning on the ground. And I reach over, and I'm working on a line behind this sofa. And out of the corner of my eye, I see one of the dummies stand up. And I scream like a little girl and run out of the maze. And the dummy screams like a little girl and runs out of the maze. And it turns out it was the maze director who was in working at the same time. And he just happened to be wearing jeans and a flannel shirt. And was leaning over the back of this sofa, also in the same room. And we scared the crap out of each other. I think we took about a nice 20-minute break, had something to drink, and uh, and came back and got back to work. So that's one of the few times I've had the complete crap scared out of me in a horror, horror night's maze. 
Hello. And you are? Uh, I'm Dave Barton with German Light Products. Great. And do you have a fun show control horror story to share? I can think of one. A few years ago, back when uh, DMX was just getting around, it was Sockapex cables and QM500s had three runs of 36-pin Sockapex. Forklift drove over the uh, cable and cut it. So we had to do a little bit of soldering that afternoon to get the show going. Put 96 channels of uh, control back into our dimmers. Fun. It was a good afternoon of soldering, I would say. One that you probably... um... Don't want to do again. Yeah. And with the MX, you don't need to. Right. And with Wi-Fi, you certainly wouldn't need to. Do you want to share any product information about that? I'd love to. Well, we do actually have a really neat Wi-Fi product called Air DMX. You can download the app for free. Just go to the App Store and look up Air DMX. Our receiver is $549. It gives you one universe of DMX. The software that you download for free is the control software and has all of the different profiles you need built into it. So you just pick your fixture from the manufacturer list and go and run your show. And it's really easy to use. Even I can do it. Great. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Appreciate you stopping by. All right. So my name is Josh Samuels. I'm a student sound designer about to graduate. And someone who is on the sound commission here at USITT just came up to me, handed me a business card, said they are looking to employ people, and they wanted to recommend me, gave me a booth number. I misremembered the booth number because I am a fantastic rememberer of things. So I went to the booth number, I thought, and it was not this theater festival, and it was instead the church audio magazine. And they were very confused, and I was very confused. And now I've been on a crazy search to find this person because their company does not have a booth here. And I am now quickly reaching into Facebook stalking territory to try and figure out how to find this person who might possibly maybe employ me. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing like a USITT mishap. Yeah, right? The the great USITT 2016 mystery. Hashtag USITT 2016. <laughs> That's great. Yes, yeah, no problem. Hi, I'm Marianne Nedgeberg, and I am from originally Eureka, Utah, but I live in Los Angeles now. And I'm Jessiana Martinez, and I live in Los Angeles, and we're at USITT 2016. And the three of us went to CalArts together. Woo-hoo! CalArts! Uh, so our random story is last night, you know, we're here at USITT. Last night we get hungry. We go to walk to one place and it's very full. So we're like, oh, we'll go to another place. And we start walking. And we're like, oh, this random place right here was called Bourbon Street. Something like that. And we go in and it's literally like hiding down the stairs. And we go in there and we order some... Office but yeah. We ordered some delicious... It was delicious. So eat there if you're here in Salt Lake City and uh, we order some tater appetizers tot, oh tater tots. And he's like, yeah the tater tots yeah and uh, we're sitting there eating our food drinking our beer enjoying our St. Patrick's Day and then all of a sudden we see this guy with a bagpipe walk in and then following him was were like 12, eight I think 12 other bagpipes, bagpipers bagpipe, yeah. four drummers a bass drummer two snare drums and we were like whoa what's going on here and then they proceeded to play four songs yeah. and we were like right in front of them so we were Very it was loud. so loud it was really cool but they proceeded to play four songs and all the drummers had fancy tricks with their drumsticks and it was pretty awesome and then they finished and they were like 
we're doing a, a, a St. Patrick's Day pub crawl. Follow us if you want. And that was the one. And we were like, huh. And then we went back to drinking. <laughs> it was so loud. It was probably the loudest thing ever. It was also ever... extremely random. <laughs> like, nice. We were just like, huh. And then they played Amazing Grace. And everybody nice. shed a tear. <laughs> I'm pretty sure one of those bagpipers lives in my neighborhood. I'm uh, Heidi. I'm Marianne's sister. Because for the last two weeks, I've been hearing a bagpiper practicing in my neighborhood. <laughs> I tried to play the bagpipes like, once. I almost passed out. Dude, it's insane. You it watch is. them. I'm and not I, as full as hot air as yeah. I thought. I'm a, yeah, you watch them. And there was an angry drummer boy. There was one drummer that like would only angry play one song. Boy. He like sat there and was angry. And he only played like the last song. The bass player? No, he's one of the snare players. Oh, the snare. I love it. Yeah. Angry drummer boy. Angry drummer boy. Angry drummer boy. And well, then he only there was had one song. The Won't only you had be one angry? song. Yeah. No. The Did over serious. I don't know. Maybe she, I don't. It wasn't the snare. So I guess whatever the other percussion drum is, that's not the snare. And she was so serious. The other ones were like laughing and talking, and she just was like dead face serious. Like and we were just like, wow. They were spinning their drum. They had like giant fluffy mallets. They were spinning them in the air, and they were like banging on each other's drums. And and the coolest part is the majority of the bagpipers were like old men, like legit these old men. And everybody was wearing kilts, matching kilts, matching kilts. It was like an, it was a whole the SLC Scots. Hmm. Plug for the SLC Scots. Did you yeah. get their business card? No, no we no. just hashtag them. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Thanks yeah. for the story. Yeah, that's what we got. <laughs> so my name is Jason Wagner, and I was at a tour stop once. We were doing loadout, and the crew chief got a call over the radio, uh, and the person on the other end of the radio said, hey, uh, I need you to come down here. There's some shit on the subwoofer cable. And the crew chief said, well, remove it. Pack the sub away. It's loadout. And the person came back and said, no, no, I don't think you understand. There's some shit on the subwoofer cable. And so he repeated himself, remove it, pack up the sub, let's go. And call came back a third time. No, listen, somebody pooped on one of the subwoofer cables. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what they did in that instance to, to clean it up or to remove it, but they, they got the... Um, the gear put away after loadout well this particular stage has a lot of automation and so there's cameras recording everything that happens in case there's an accident they're able to go back and review and find out you know who had actually pooped on the subwoofer cable and it turned out to be one of the truck driver's wives who was subsequently let go from the tour <laughs> that's a great story <laughs> yeah oh that's wonderful my name is Oscar Revelo, and I once witnessed a person try to uh, splice a rope with gaff tape so that he could lift equipment up. And, uh, of course, we all know how that story ended. Uh, broken lights. <laughs> so, my name is Marissa, and I have a very fun USITT story. We really enjoy dad jokes and very awful puns. It's kind of our thing to pass the time. We have an artist, obviously, here. And one of our technicians accidentally dropped his phone. And the artist went to pick it up. And I was like, would you say that you're now a pickup artist? Boom. I'm Chris Tangeris, uh, product manager with Rational Acoustics, manufacturers of the smart measurement software. And I just want to, uh, to make sure our audio friends know to watch where you step. For some reason, we've started taking this for granted, but putting pressure on audio cables compresses the signal. Worse still is the heavier you are, the closer you get to limiting. For example, a 200-pound person stepping on an XLR cable causes a compression ratio of 4 to 1. 
that's what their full weight. Now, a 150-pound person is about one-to-one. But, of course, because weight is inversely proportional to compression ratio, a 250-pound person actually hits 100-to-one or infinity-to-one. But luckily, the amount of actual gain reduction depends on the amount of time a person stands on the cable. So a good rule of thumb is that for every 500 milliseconds, a cable equals 1 dB of gain reduction. And since it takes about 3 dB of change for humans to really notice, most people can step on and off a cable within 1.5-second window. Just be careful. Uh, I'm Ian Garrett. Uh, I'm a lighting and media designer. I work a lot in sustainability, and I teach up at York University in Toronto. Uh, my story is about uh, oh, quite a while ago, while I was still I was sort of second assistant on a show, and it involved a lot of automation, and it had been chopped out to uh, to uh, a scenic shop that didn't have a lot of they weren't known for automation, and so when we were expecting to arrive, this large automated set into the space, it didn't work. And so there was, they sent it with a guy who rode a road case ratchet strapped to the side of it while he was still programming it and testing it. It, it uh, was meant to control a very large piece of scenery, which A, in rehearsal, they kept moving, and so we had to refocus it. Every day we get new scenic drawings, so you could essentially drive this, this like, essentially a wall around the set, and walls get in the way of lights a lot. And then we didn't have it, so we had to focus everything to a cardboard cutout of its footprint with a stepladder, assuming what height it would be at. Uh, and ultimately, it was the first time in that company's history that they had to delay an opening, both because it took so long to get the automation working, and then um, somebody fell off of it. Uh, they're okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Charles Kirby. I'm with the city of New York, and we are Collabor Jabbers. A year ago, I was at a bar with Landon Fussman and Adam Dinsmore, who are Mensa members, and they turned down their Mensa membership. And I only tell that part of the story because they're really much smarter than I am. And I showed them a cube, and I said I wanted to make an app And I still don't quite have an app, but I still have that cube. And I'm trying to build an app, but what we decided was that the word for this collaborative community we wanted to build was going to be Collaborjabber. C-O-L-L-A-B-R-J-A-B-B-R. Collaborjabber, as in, like, you talk and you collaborate. And a year later... I was sitting in the same bar, but in a different city. And I heard one student say to another, Do you collaborjabber? And I lost my shit. Because a year earlier, not 364 days earlier, I had made up that word. And then that person was using it without even knowing that it was my word. So all I can tell you about that is that it's a very long life. Unless it's not. It's beautiful. Hi, I'm Chris. Uh, this is a story of a love story of the USITT. Basically, I arrived at USITT for the first time. Just walked in there, opening ceremonies. First time I was there, I was a little bit late. Walked in, saw a friend. No idea what was happening. There was this guy in a kilt. He was auctioning off some school stuff. And I sat down next to my friend Jess, like for the first 
few seconds I was sitting there. He walks over. He has some money airs on. And she says she's going to bid me. She bids me. And I'm confused. Don't know what's happening. And she gives him a hug. He takes me by the hand. This is big guy kilt. Hilarious. Everyone's looking at him. We walk towards... We just walk around continuing the auction. All of a sudden, he's like, who needs a boyfriend? And a whole bunch of girls raise their hands. I don't know what's happening. And then he's like, is he good enough? So he has me sit next to this one lady. Just sit there awkwardly for a few minutes. Don't know what's happening. Get her number, thankfully. And then we proceed to have a few dates. We went to a speakeasy. Got a few bars. The YouTube story part of it? The YouTube? YouTube? Well, didn't you say it was posted on oh, YouTube? Oh, yeah, and it's posted on YouTube. Lots of stories, lots of pictures. Love, villain. Love it. Love at USITT. Love at USITT. The Q is produced by Active Media Group in association with the Q Show cast. Music for The Q was written and performed by Kyle Swafford. For more information and links to our blog, online tutorials, cast, and videos, please visit theqshow.com. You can contact us at info at theqshow.com. Now go out and make something, and you too can go to 11.